There is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even rig America's elections. Wait, what? You talking to me? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I think he's talking to me. I got the feeling that something right. Yeah, he's talking to me. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Maybe he's talking to my guest today. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And we are streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the intertubes at the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling episode of The Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Well, uh, a new poll is out uh, showing Hillary Clinton has opened up a, sit down, a 12-point national lead over Donald Trump among likely voters with just uh, less than a month to go before Election Day. Hello. 12 points. Uh, And more importantly here, Clinton takes 50 percent support in this new Monmouth uh, University survey released on Monday. First time, I believe, in any poll that she's uh, met the 50 percent mark. Trump has 38 percent. Libertarian nominee Gary Johnson has 5 percent. Green Party's Jill Stein uh, takes 2 percent. The uh, what's most notable, though, because this is only one poll and mind you, it's a national poll. It's not a state by state poll, which is more important. But uh, what's more important here is that Clinton uh, led by only four points in this very same poll last month, which she is now up by 12 points in. Uh, This is the third recent poll, the Hill notes, uh, in which uh, Clinton is leading by double digits nationally. But other surveys are still showing a tighter race. ABC News, for example, um, over the weekend put her at a four point advantage over Trump. Well within that survey's margin of error, of course, that's what I was watching Fox News on Sunday. And that's the poll they showed. Of course, the the four point poll saying uh, it's pretty much tied. That's how they actually uh, presented that four point poll. Now, it is within the uh, margin of error, which is, I think, four point five. But that was the poll they led with on Fox News because that's what they do at Fox News. In any case, uh, what's interesting here is that Hillary Clinton's lead among likely voters is larger in this survey versus last month's survey uh, from Monmouth because um, 
they determined that only 5% of her supporters are unlikely to vote. That compared with 10% of Trump supporters who are unlikely to vote. Last month, those numbers were flipped. You had 10% of uh, Clinton's registered supporters deemed unlikely to vote against 7% for Trump. So Clinton's lead, according to uh, Patrick Murray from uh, Monmouth, says Clinton's lead has increased her uh, Clinton has increased her lead among all registered voters, but the main difference between this month and last month is that her supporters have become more enthusiastic. Really? And uh, thus likely more uh, more likely to turn out than Trump's backers. Uh, who have become less likely to vote. That's interesting. And all of this has happened, of course, uh, since the release of those 2005, uh, that 2005 video uh, with uh, Trump's obscene remarks about assaulting women and so forth. And since the uh, many, the parade of women have come forward to allege they have been sexually harassed by him. So. There's a surprising uh, result of the past few weeks, but there's another surprising result that uh, Charles Stewart over at Cal State noticed. He writes that Donald Trump's relentless messaging about a rigged election is having an effect on the confidence that voters have that their votes will be counted accurately. But he adds it's not the effect that you think. He writes, I came across I came to this conclusion as I was considering yesterday's morning consult poll about confidence in the vote count. It so happens, he writes, that I asked an almost exactly the same question on a national poll during the pre-election period in 2012. He decided to compare the results from morning consult on that on voter confident confidence to his own poll four years ago, he says the results were surprising. The percentage of respondents who say they are very confident that their own votes will be counted accurately is virtually unchanged from what it was in 2012. Confidence that votes nationwide will be counted accurately has, if anything, increased since 2012, he writes. Trump's rhetoric, so far at least, appears not to have reduced Republican confidence in the accuracy of the vote count over the past four years. Rather, however, it has increased the confidence of Democrats. The degree of party polarization over the quality of the vote count has increased since 2012. In other words, the, uh, the, the margin between how Democrats feel about it and how Republicans feel about it, that margin has increased since 2012, but it's due to Democratic shifts in opinion, not Republican shifts that are leading to the greater polarization. He says the 2012 patterns were consistent with what my colleagues and I have regularly, regularly reported, that the winning party tends to be more confident than the losing party, and that voters tend to be much more confident of their own votes being counted accurately than they are concerning the votes being counted accurately nationwide. He says in 2016, we're seeing a similar pattern. But there's a couple of major differences. He says the important similarity is that respondents in both 2012 and 2016 were more confident that their own votes would be counted accurately than they would uh, about the nationwide votes. In 2012, uh, the local versus nationwide gap was about 25 percentage points. 
In 2016, it's dropped to uh, 17 percentage points, but the most important changes come as we look down the table at the differences between Democrats and Republicans. Republican and Democratic opinions have changed in very different ways since 2012. At the local level, Republicans remain about as confident as they were in 2012, but Democratic confidence has grown for some reason. As a consequence, the gap in confidence between Democrats and Republicans about local vote counting has grown from five percentage points to a much more substantial 18 percentage points. That's uh, how they feel about their own local elections being counted accurately. Nationwide, Republicans are just a little bit more confident, actually more confident in 2016 than they were in 2012. But Democrats have become a lot more confident. They are now a whopping 23 percentage points more confident than in 2012 that votes will be counted accurately nationwide. So despite Donald Trump's complaints about a rigged electoral system, uh, that has most clearly uh, reminded his strongest supporters of what they had already believed. But it's much less clear that Republicans who are not already convinced of the corruption of the election system have have had any change of heart whatsoever. But Trump's charges, on the other hand, appear to have counter mobilized Democratic opinion in an interesting way. Democrats have now come to the defense of vote counting, not only in their own backyard, but even in other people's backyards, writes Charles Stewart uh, over at Cal State. But is that growing confidence warranted? Remember, just a few weeks ago, the United States Department of Justice and the, the Homeland Security Department was warning us that our elections, our voting systems and our voter registration systems, that those could be hacked, that they were vulnerable to manipulation by foreign powers like Russia. We were we were told to be very, very worried but now, in the Rose Garden, for example, today, the president told us that American elections can't be rigged. Now, he was talking more about Trump's pretend threat of voter fraud, but he was also speaking about our voting systems themselves. So I'm kind of getting whiplashed here. I don't know about you. We'll talk about that whiplash and about the facts of our voting systems and if there is reason to be concerned. Remember, it's not just the presidential election, by the way, at stake. The U.S. Senate, the U.S. House, state and local races and ballot initiatives. They will all be decided at once on one day just about three weeks from now. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, Pam Smith, president of Verified Voting, to discuss what the real concerns are about our voting systems and if Americans should be worried, as we were told a few weeks ago, or not worried at all, as we've been told over the past few days. Stand by for that. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by Bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses 
are running on because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. Tuesday in November, I took that stroll to cast my ballot at the local poll. The lines were long, but I didn't care. I had water, a hat, and my folding chair. Walked up to the booth, didn't say a word. Was sure that my voice would be heard. I hit that button, my vote was sent. But now nobody knows exactly where it went. They lost my vote. They did. It isn't fair. I took a stand. Doesn't anybody care? I care. Lost my vote. Now do you know where did my ballot go? No, no idea, actually. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. During a press conference in the Rose Garden today, President Obama spoke to the increasingly strident claims by Donald Trump and his supporters that the election will somehow be rigged. I have never seen in my lifetime or in modern political history uh, any presidential candidate trying to discredit the elections and the election process before votes have even taken place. It's unprecedented. It happens to be based on no facts. Every expert, regardless of political party, regardless of ideology, conservative or liberal, who has ever examined these issues in a serious way will tell you that Instances of significant voter fraud are not to be found, that keep in mind elections are run by state and local officials, which means that uh, there are places like Florida, for example, where you've got a Republican governor whose Republican appointees are going to be running. Uh, and monitoring a whole bunch of these election sites. The notion that somehow if Mr. Trump loses Florida, it's because of those people that you have to watch out for. That is both irresponsible and, by the way, doesn't really show the kind of leadership and toughness that you'd want out of a president. If you start whining before the game's even over, that was President Obama in the Rose Garden today responding to uh, Donald Trump and his supporters' claims that the election will somehow be rigged. He had a few more words on that as well. Maybe we'll get to those uh, shortly with my guest in a moment. Uh, we have been speaking a lot of late on this program about the ridiculousness of the charges that Donald Trump has been making concerning people voting 10 times, rampant voter fraud in places like Philadelphia, etc. We've been debunking those claims because not only is there no evidence to support them, the evidence usually shows quite the opposite. In-person 
polling place impersonation fraud is virtually non-existent. In 2014, uh, then Loyola University election law professor Justin Levitt published a study in The Washington Post, for example, finding just 31 potential cases of impersonation fraud, the only type that might be deterred by the photo ID voting restrictions pushed by Republicans in order to disenfranchise Democratic-leaning voters, 31 potential cases out of more than 1 billion votes cast in the U.S. from 2000 to 2014. In Philadelphia, since I mentioned that, even the Republican Party there, uh, Republican officials are sick to death about the false claims of rampant voter fraud there, as supported by nothing more than big turnout for Obama over the past two elections in African-American precincts. Places where Democrats have done well for years with absolutely no sign of fraud. Despite well-publicized reports of a number of precincts where Mitt Romney received zero votes, no Republican voters have stepped forward to say that they voted for Mitt Romney in those precincts. Similarly, John McCain and George W. Bush also received zero votes in uh, many of those precincts as well. And Barack Obama uh, in precincts uh, less publicized around the country also received zero votes in some areas against Mitt Romney and John McCain. Now, we've covered... Uh, the attempts by Republicans to restrict access to the polls and even to the voting rolls for Democratic-leaning voters, as this is set to be the first presidential election in 50 years without the full protections of the Voting Rights Act, after it was gutted in 2013 by the U.S. Supreme Court. Since then, nearly 15 GOP-controlled states have instituted restrictions on voters making it harder to vote, though some of those restrictions have been mercifully struck down by federal courts, finding them unconstitutional. Nonetheless, the charges of, a po uh, of, of the possibility of a rigged election still persist, and it's even been aided by Democrats who are now suddenly, after all of these years we've been reporting on the dangers at bradblog.com and here on the broadcast, now even Democrats are suddenly concerned that the voting and voting registration systems and the tabulators, the electronic tabulators and so forth around the country could be hacked by foreign entities. Their concern, of course, spurred on by their belief that Russia or people sympathetic to Russia have, have somehow hacked into the uh, Democratic Party emails and possibly voter registration systems in Illinois and Arizona so far this year. Now, while we know that those systems have been hacked by someone and that a dearth of evidence has been made public about them, the fact is our systems are vulnerable to manipulation, be it from foreign nations, the hacker down the street, or uh, frankly, of far more concern, at least to folks like me, insiders with virtually unfettered access to electronic voting systems and tabulators. That remains a very real threat. Uh, that even the Department of Homeland Security has been busy warning jurisdictions about, offering best practice tips uh, to deter such attacks and even offering to help states in running security checks to determine uh, if their systems have already been broached in some way. So far, just 33 states reportedly have taken up the uh, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, uh, taken them up on the offer to help. There are now many uh, including the president today, claiming that it would be virtually impossible to hack a national presidential election due to this decentralized nature of our systems. Now, whether or not that's true, 
The systems themselves are, as we have reported at the Brad blog, often exclusively for well over a decade now, these systems are exceedingly vulnerable to manipulation in a way that is very often very difficult uh, or, or even impossible to detect. That's on both the 100% unverifiable touchscreen type systems and the paper ballot optical scan systems. So, Setting aside the political reasons that both Democrats and Republicans may have this year to either support or undermine our patchwork of electronic voting and tabulation and registration systems around the country, what are the real vulnerabilities that exist in the system and its confidence uh, that, that the public may have? Is that warranted or should we be concerned with voting already underway in many states and and the November 8th Election Day now just mercifully three weeks away? Joining us now to talk about all of this is Pamela Smith. She's the president of VerifiedVoting.org, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that advocates for legislation and regulation that promotes accuracy, transparency, and verifiability of elections. That would be nice. There's an idea. Uh, we might not be in this mess, frankly, if we'd listened to Verified Voting years ago. Pam provides information and public testimony on verified voting issues at federal and state levels throughout the U.S., including the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on House Administration. And, by the way, Verified Voting offers extensive information at its indispensable verifier database on election equipment and regulations governing its use at the federal uh, level and across all 50 states. Pam Smith, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, you, you bet. Uh, this is uh, crazy. I can't wait until it's over. But until then, let's start here. Before we get into the weeds, as noted, there's been a lot of talk about rigged and hacked elections this year from both the right and the left, to be frank. So as we're now three weeks away from Election Day and probably as you guys have as many concerns about uh, uh, voting and the results uh, as we do here, what are your first broad concerns about the voting and registration machinery that is still in use around the country in uh, in election 2016, including both the unverifiable touchscreens uh, and the paper based systems that many people don't know are, you know, counted that use tabulators, tabulation computers as well. What are what are your big major concerns, Pam? Well, I, you know, I just want to jump in first on the term rigging, because it does mean so many different things mm -hmm. to different people. And it it. It's certainly for people who are thinking about the technology involved in our elections. It, it, it may mean, you know, there's someone tampering with the technology. Um, but there are so many different aspects to it, and you touched on some of those. And, you know, voter intimidation is one uh, way of rigging an election um, that's happened in past years. And it's not a case of whether that's detectable or undetectable. That's an obvious thing that happens. Um, I heard from someone who's an experienced judge of elections in Pennsylvania that they had a special training this week about what to do with regard to the open carry law that exists in Pennsylvania mm. and what happens if someone comes to the polling place and uh, shows their firearm in intimidating ways and, you know, what the protocols are. Mm -hmm. That's just frightening, you know, just just generally. So... Uh, I'm I'm c concerned, like other voters are, but 
there are some bright notes in what we have to talk about and obviously some areas for concern. So with the voting technology mm-hmm. and the technology around election systems, which I think has to include the voter registration systems, um, I'll start with the voter registration mm-hmm. system. So you mentioned the two states that had the publicized breaches, mm-hmm. Arizona and Illinois, in June and July. This was written about in the media. And in both cases, those states' systems were down for several weeks while they investigated and tried to figure out what, if anything, was damaged or lost or, or corrupted in that data um, or just plain taken. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a good thing to say about this, uh, occurrence in these two states, it's that it happened in June and July, right. <laughs> and it gave the rest of the country a chance to uh, to say, hmm, well, that's not just theoretical anymore, that's an actual thing that actually happened, and we'd better look at our system mm-hmm. and see what the vulnerabilities are uh, in advance of this happening to us. So we've heard that there are there have been attempts on other states' systems as well, we have not heard whether those have been successful, but I think that, um, you know, the important note here is that 33 whole states <laughs> and some counties uh, have taken advantage of the offer from the Department of Homeland Security to provide things like cyber risk assessments and vulnerability scans and similar practices. That's never happened before. So I'm actually very pleased about that. Um, I'm very pleased that they've weighed in, um, you know, so extensively. And I would, I'm, I'm conjecturing here, but there are some states who said, we don't need your help, DHS. Um, but they have state CISOs and CIOs who can potentially either do or engage other outside services to do some similar vulnerability scans and other kinds of supportive activities. The election officials I've talked to have said they are taking extra measures, both at the state level and in their county levels, um, to safeguard their voter registration systems. And it might be useful for people to think about how we got here. You know, back when the Help America Vote Act was passed, one of its provi- and that was 2002, um, one of its provisions was that every state should have a computerized statewide voter registration mm-hmm. database. And some states went farther and said, let's not just computerize it, let's put it online, let's make um, voter registration available online, as well as things like lookup tools where a voter can check their registration Mm -hmm. or update if they changed an address or whatever. And while those are in some ways very good uses of technology that are supportive of voters, you know, it makes it easier to register Um, easier to update your information, and even easy to check, Um, it's important that the state is following best practices and protecting those systems and, most importantly, the underlying data. So there should be a master version of the list that's kept offline, that's kept away from, uh, you know, external um, avenues of tampering. um, and, and protected. And, and and do you have confidence from the, the, the people you've talked to from the states uh, and, and, and political parties, whoever you've been in conversation with, the DOJ, DHS, all of that, uh, do you have confidence? You know, as I was looking at this, uh, you know, I can tell you shortly after uh, Donna Brazil was named the uh, interim chair of the DNC, 
She actually called me in a bit of a panic uh, concerning the hacks of the emails, and uh, they were suddenly very concerned that the election itself could be hacked, uh, the, the voter registration systems you cite, uh, Pam Smith. Uh, she, you know, Brazil wanted to know what could be done to try and safeguard this. And I was very glad to hear that Democrats were finally concerned about all of this after all of the years that I've been on about this, that you've been on about this, Pam. But it was three months before the election day. And, you know, I, I, I told her, frankly, there, there's not a lot that can be done other than to assure uh, paper ballot, uh, paper ballots and, and paper registration books are available everywhere. Encourage folks to try to oversee precinct results when they're printed out at the end of the night, you know, and otherwise push for actual overseeable voting systems in the future. I, I, I'm wondering what can actually be done at this late date by DHS, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, or by states to actually protect against the system? I mean, the fact is, as you know, Pam, denial of service attacks on voter registration, you know, the electronic poll books, mm -hmm. that can uh, uh, take out a, a, a precinct so people can't vote at all because they can't sign in. And then we'll get into some of the other concerns about the voting machines themselves. But Glad to hear they're worried. Seems a little late, uh, to put it that way. <laughs> well, there is a phrase, better late than never. So, um, okay. look, I think one of the reasons why, you know, sometimes people will say, well, why don't we just, you know, why don't they just print more ballots and we'll just all vote on paper? Um, you know, it's a nice idea. But what a lot of people don't realize about sort of what goes on behind the scenes is you're, you know, getting ready to carry out the election is that there's a very tight schedule mm -hmm. that's, you know, every day is jam-packed with things that you have to do and get done, and it has to be done by certain deadlines or you just won't make it. Um, you know, election day happens when it happens. You don't get to say, hey, we're not quite ready. Can we do it on Thursday? It's going to be Tuesday, November 8th, whether mm -hmm. you're ready or not. So you have to be ready. And so one concern that people have had is that if you start trying to sort of change processes or add processes or add, um, you know, different, different sort of procedural safeguards at this juncture, right. you know, what, what is going to be disrupted by just doing that? Right. Um, so that's a concern. I think what you've touched on, though, uh, is really important. Backups, redundancies. Um, one thing that, that happened in 2012 when we had Superstorm Sandy uh, was that a lot of election jurisdictions took time, to, if they didn't already have one, to start working on what's my plan B mm -hmm. and what's my plan C. You know, what happens if there's some sort of natural disaster? And then while we're thinking about it, what happens if there's some sort of other disaster? And what are, the, what are the mitigations? So if this system goes down, what do we do? If that system goes down, what do we do? There are some election officials that do an incredible job of this, and others that I'm sure, you know, struggle to have the time available to them to do it at all. But I think that, um, you know, with, with that having happened, you know, how do you run an election when mm -hmm. you don't have some of your polling places? Mm -hmm. It got people thinking about contingency plans, and one of the most uh, excellent contingency plans for things like uh, a poll book is, of course, having the printed poll book available in each polling place in case an electronic poll book uh, version should happen to go down or not not be functioning or the master system be you know crashed. Are, are You've got that printed backup. The same token, you need 
emergency paper ballots in any polling place that is relying on a machine interface for are, voters. Are jurisdictions that you're in touch with doing that, taking that seriously, bothering to print out the poll books this time, making sure there's enough emergency paper ballots in place, uh, the, the people that you're hearing from, the jurisdictions and states and so on, forth? On the emergency paper ballots, I would say, by and large, yes. One uh, state that had problems with this in the past was Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. There were some pretty severe problems in elections past. Mm -hmm. And there was, um, you know, action taken uh, against the state about this, and they came to an agreement and put in place actually a pretty decent plan for having emergency paper ballots in their machine jurisdictions. And since that time, they've actually done a pretty good job of it. Pennsylvania is one of those states. I'm going to pick on them a little bit because, you know. They deserve it. Go ahead. Please um, proceed, <laughs> Governor. But it's one of those states where they do have, if you look at our verifier map that you mentioned, you can mm -hmm. see that in many of the counties, most of the counties in the state, except for um, 13, are all paper, and four are mostly paper with some machines for accessibility, and the rest are all machine Mm -hmm. including in the biggest jurisdictions of, of where Philadelphia is and where Pittsburgh is and so on. Um, you know, they've done a better job of late uh, on having emergency paper ballots in place. But, but there's, and yeah, they're yeah, also, yeah. their machines are very old. Yeah. <laughs> Some yeah. of them are, are, are ancient. Um, so the older the equipment gets, the more you worry about it failing, just simply failing on election but day, failing to boot up, but, so but, you need emergency paper ballots. Well, you do, but uh, even when all goes well, since Pennsylvania still uh, keeps coming up here from you and I, uh, <laughs> you know, while the voter fraud concerns there have been wildly overblown, the fact mm -hmm. is much of the state still uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen-type systems. So even when it works well, it's completely unverifiable, and yet it's going to play another decisive role in the presidential race this year and, of course, all of the other uh, contests that are on the ballot in, in Pennsylvania. And similarly, by the way, uh, out in Nevada, another key presidential state, but also a key uh, a Senate state potentially this year. Out in Nevada, they also use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Uh, I should add illegally certified ones at that. Uh, uh, that's another story that uh, I broke at, uh, at Brad blog. But um, we still rely on these states that if there is a question about the results, um, or even if there isn't a question about results, we simply cannot know if the uh, if the results in states like Pennsylvania and Nevada and a number of other states, if they actually re uh, reflect the intent of the voters, that feeds into, uh, you know, folks like Donald Trump saying the system is rigged. You can't trust it. To me, that seems very dangerous, whether it's rigged or not. And let me actually let me uh, get your thoughts on this. But I want to quote from David Dill, uh, Dr. David Dill. I, I believe he's on your board over at uh, Verified Voting. Um, you know, he's been a critic of electronic voting systems for years. And the other day uh, on um, on Huffington Post, he said that, uh, you know, w whether there's fraud or error, there's the nagging question of voter confidence in the results. He said, suppose you have an election that could be rigged and it's not detectable and it isn't rigged. After the election, people still don't know whether they should trust the results or not. Isn't that a problem that you've been yelling about, I've been yelling about uh, now for going over a decade, and we are still looking down the barrel of three weeks away from a, another major presidential election? 
Well, I think there's no doubt that it's still a problem that we have these jurisdictions where you can't um, do a, a robust or even legitimate audit or recount. And I think that that's the issue. You know, everything might go perfectly well. It, there, it might be that the software has no errors in it and that it hasn't been tampered with. But someone once said rather famously that, um, you know, part of the purpose of the function of elections is to prove to the losers that they lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, having that proof that the outcome was, you know, what it was, being able to demonstrate that there were no errors, or if there were errors, being able to correct them, I think, is a crucial baseline that we deserve to have uh, across the country, not just in some jurisdictions, but everywhere. So that's something that we continue to work towards. I mentioned earlier that there are a few bright lights. Um, The bright light here in, in 2016 is that we have more jurisdictions using paper ballots than uh, in recent history. And in even one of the other states that we like to pick on, um, Virginia, they have... I pick uh, on them all, just, just to be clear. Just I pick on them year, all. Yes, go yeah, ahead. Just last year, Virginia decertified what mm-hmm. might be, you know, win the prize as the sort of worst voting machine ever because it had wireless communication capability on board Mm -hmm. that couldn't be turned off in election mode. So, uh, you know, when when they finally recognized that in the state, they decertified the system. The good news there is that advocates in Virginia uh, over the past several years have had managed to get passed and held up uh, a rule that said we're not buying anymore of these voting machines. We're not buying any more DREs in the state of Virginia. Uh, sorry to use the acronym, direct recording mm-hmm. electronic voting machines. Touchscreen type devices, yeah. Exactly. And so because that had previously been passed, when the ABS WinVote machine, as it was called, mm-hmm. was decertified in early 2015, it could only be replaced with paper ballot-based systems. So now, if you look at our map, it gives you the option of looking back over 2012 and 2014, as well as well as looking at the current map. And if you click on Virginia, and then you click back to even as recently as 2014, you can see there's a huge difference in how much of the state is now papered up. And this year, in their legislative session in early 2016, they passed a law finally putting a date certain by when the rest of their voting machines have to be gone and replaced with paper systems, and that will be by the election of 2020. So... It'll possibly happen before, but that's the deadline. Let me. Uh, so in 2020, we won't have to worry the same way about Virginia <laughs> well, <laughs> that we might have in the past. Well, there we go. Then we only have to worry about the other 49 still. Sure. Uh, but, uh, well, there are other states uh, that have done this, too. I mean, yeah. Maryland now, for the first presidential election, will have paper ballots statewide. Um, you know, that wasn't the case even two years ago. So there are other jurisdictions that are leaning that way, and there are some that are going to be replacing voting systems in the not-too-distant future because they're very cognizant of how old their systems are. I would put Georgia in that category. I'd put South Carolina in that category. Um, I would put, uh, well, I would even put Pennsylvania in that category. Well, uh, um, Georgia so, itself, yeah. as uh, someone noted, uh, uh, Joe Hall, I think, uh, another uh, computer uh, science guy, uh, you know, noted that they, too, use these touchscreen systems all across the, the state still. And until recently, 
the default password, I believe, of 1234 was the password being used uh, on pretty much every uh, uh, Diebold uh, touchscreen system across the state of Georgia. There's a lot of folks out there trying to give now confidence in the system. I'm not so sure, and I understand that, I'm not so sure that confidence is warranted. Pamela, let me take a quick break here. I'm speaking with Pam Smith, president of VerifiedVoting.org. The president spoke more on this today and, and tried to, I think, offer more confidence in the results. And... I'd like to offer that confidence, too. I'm just not sure it's merited. Uh, But let me take a quick break. We'll come back with Pam Smith. We'll play more of the uh, president's comments uh, and get Pam's thoughts on these paper ballots we're talking about. Can we actually have confidence that they will be tabulated correctly by these same private computers? All of that and more on the broadcast straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. <laughs> They said vote in the election, it's what good people do. We've got this new machine, amazing but it's true. Just touch the screen a few times, it computes your vote for you. And you don't even need any paper. Eh, you don't need it. They swore it could Paper? What good would that do? And even if you have paper, will they bother to count it? And if they bother to count it, will it be counted accurately? How will you know? Will you know? You might not know. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'm speaking with Pam Smith, president of verifiedvoting.org. Verified voting. There's an idea. A lot of folks are, uh, are out there trying to counter uh, Donald Trump's claims of a rigged election. At the same time, the uh, Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security has been warning about, you know, potential hacks of our voting and voter registration systems from uh, foreign nations. But uh, uh, Pam Smith, and I want to play what uh, the president said in a minute, but uh, Pam, the concerns about, you know, foreigners, Russia, the Russians are coming. That seems to somewhat miss the point, does it not? Whether it's Russia or any country or more directly, these local bad actors and specifically election insiders, our elections are at the mercy of those folks because we don't verify results of our elections. These computers are impossible to oversee in many cases. I I don't know about you. I'm more concerned about insider manipulation than I am about uh, foreign hacks or hacks by anybody else. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think that it's it's a truism in the security field that insider threats are the the hardest ones, you know, the hardest ones to deal with, the most challenging Mm -hmm. uh, to secure against, if you will. And so, uh, you know, I don't see that that would be any different in this arena than mm-hmm. any other arena. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, you know, we've always said that it shouldn't matter who, who made the voting system, mm-hmm. you know, w- whether uh, the person who runs the company is partisan, mm-hmm. um, you know, any other factor like that. If you can do 
if you have a, an auditable system and you can do a robust audit on that system to either confirm uh, a reported total or correct it if it's reported incorrectly, um, then, you know, that's fine. And it wouldn't matter whether there are people attempting breach on the system from, from far away or from nearby. Um, but the trick is having those auditable systems and doing really robust audits or, or recounts, which, you know, in a way are a type of audit. So of the states, uh, about just over half of the states have some kind of audit requirement. Some of those audits are pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are stronger than others. And this is when um, you say audit, you're talking about these post-election spot checks where they hand yeah. count some of the paper ballots. It doesn't take place on election night. It doesn't take place before. It, it often yeah. takes place some weeks afterwards. And here's the concern about that, uh, uh, Pam. I don't think they work. They don't do them well. And even when they do do them, as we saw during the primaries, you know, between uh, Clinton and Sanders, for example, they do do some form of an audit in Chicago and they found all kinds of problems during that audit and uh, or, you know, things that appeared to be uh, uh, problems. And there was really nothing done to correct it. And I've seen that out here in, in Los Angeles as well. And, you know, whether the machines got it wrong or the people got it wrong, we can't know. We're relying on those audits. And then the result is, whether it's true or not, Sanders supporters are out there shouting that, oh, the election was stolen from Bernie Sanders in Chicago. Right. Isn't that evidence these these audits really don't work? Well, there's also evidence that they can work. So here's the thing, mm-hmm. I, and this hurts me because I'm actually from Chicago, but okay. i got to pick on Sorry. <laughs> I saw that video yep. of the hearing about how the audits were conducted, mm-hmm. and it just is cringeworthy because, yes. look, there are, there are best practices in audits. You can do a bad audit. You can do a good audit. You should be doing a good audit. Um, those best practices are not rocket science. First thing, transparency. People should be able to observe the process and understand that the selection was done in a proper random, you know, selection method. Um, there should be enough counted to give some sense of the accuracy of the functioning of the system, et cetera. But even recently, you know, one of the worst audit provisions <laughs> in the country, mm-hmm. frankly, is, is weakest, I'll say, is in Florida. Um, and, even their weak audit provision has found outcome-changing error in some recent contests. So my, my feeling is that if you have an auditable system, you should be doing an audit. The, the more robust, the better, but even a weak audit has found outcome-changing error that later could be corrected and get the right person seated in office, and that actually affected more than one contest there. Well. So I think... That's an important thing to note. Having an auditable system and not doing an audit on it, not doing any kind of check, uh, you know, is a lot like having an unauditable system. Mm-hmm. How are you generating confidence in the outcome uh, among the public that's using that system on which to vote if you're not doing anything to confirm that it's working the way it's supposed to. You and I... So, yeah, we can talk for days about what makes for a better audit and what makes for a worse audit, and... Um, but it, regardless of level of quality, it's really still only about half the states that have any audit requirement at all. Um, you can add to that that some states have a requirement for, uh, for recounts, and by that I mean a, an, automatic, mm-hmm. uh, an automatically triggered recount that happens when a margin is within a certain narrow percentage. So if you have a close election in a given contest, they will automatically do 
a recount or a partial recount of that contest. Um, so, you know, that's a form of checking as well, right, on a given contest. But they're all after the fact, uh, Pam, and well, that's sure. why I, you know, uh, we, we spoke... They're after the fact because they're comparing uh, the results of a manual tally with the machine results. But out here so in California... In the best practice, you would have a protocol that starts your selection process within, you know, 24 to 48 hours uh, of the initial uh, results being announced. I'll just and you would do the audit soon after. And, and, and yeah, and it, it might be nice if that happened. And I know you've been uh, uh, advocating for that for many years, and a lot of uh, great election integrity folks have been advocating for that. It seems like it doesn't happen. It seems like it is even gameable when it does happen. We remember, what you know, Ohio 2004, there was a mandated statewide 3% recount that the greens and libertarians had filed for and they ended up gaming that recount the election officials did they were sentenced to the maximum in prison in cuyahoga county the largest county in ohio in that post-election count i would argue again that we have to get it right on election night uh but i spoke with um uh, 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 yesterday, I interviewed a, a GOP official from New Hampshire. He was critical of Trump's talk of a rigged election, but he stunned me uh, saying that he hadn't seen you know, evidence that GOP has been f- forwarding the idea of massive voter fraud by Democrats. That was shocking, but less surprising was when I asked him about his confidence in hand-counted paper ballots versus computer-counted results in New Hampshire, where about... 40% of the towns in New Hampshire count publicly by hand on election night, what I call democracy's gold standard. Uh, he said that uh, he had more confidence in the computer tallies um, rather than because humans make errors while hand counting. Do you have more confidence ultimately in computer counts or hand counts when it comes down to it? Look, humans program computers. So if humans make errors in, in, you know, every walk of life, they're going to make errors when they program computers as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not fair to say that, you know, there's less error in a computer system. Um, in New Hampshire, ironically, they do a large number of hand recounts. They have some of the best protocols for hand recounts uh, around. They are very clear on what constitutes a vote and, you know, how to identify that, and it airs on the side of voter intent, so, you know, the most votes will be counted. Um, and they'll do these at the drop of a hat. This is not where, you know, the jurisdiction will charge you an arm and a leg, and it's mm-hmm. really, really hard to get it done. No, they just do a statewide recount, and they do them regularly. In fact, that's been an argument that they've given for not passing an audit law in New Hampshire is because they do quite a number of recounts, so I think they feel they don't need a, an additional um, audit. Except, but except Pam, it Pam, may, they, they uh, do Pam, m- much hand counting. <laughs> Aside from the local jurisdictions that you mentioned, they yeah. also hand count ballots after they've been machine counted on a very regular basis. And they use that information to either confirm or, you know, correct an outcome. So uh, let, let me get, uh, yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree. Again, in theory, Pam, uh, in practice, I remember Dennis Kucinich had to raise about $60,000 to do a recount of the 2008 primary, uh, presidential primary, and he couldn't even afford to count the whole thing. They found various problems all over the state, uh, you know, p- potentially random problems, uh, but a lot of them that weren't discovered until the hand count that he had to pay for. 
Uh, let me uh, just we're, since we're running short on time, I want to get your comments on the. Uh, uh, and you and I could go back and forth, I know, on all of this all day. But President Obama made some additional comments. We played a bit earlier. But, I, I, you know, the DHS has been putting out these warnings about the possibility of a hacked election system. But now that Trump is becoming more strident about the issue of rigged elections, uh, talking about voter fraud, not election fraud. But since then, both Democrats and Republicans are pushing back, saying it would be impossible to hack our elections because of the decentralized nature of of our of our systems around the country. Here's the president in the Rose Garden today speaking specifically to that and then I'll get your thoughts. There is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even you could even rig America's elections in part because they're so decentralized and the numbers of votes involved. There's no evidence that that has happened in the past or that there are instances in which that, that will happen this time. And so uh, I'd advise Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. <laughs> the, whining, the whining aside, uh, <laughs> Pam Smith, uh, no serious person who would suggest you could even rig America's elections, no evidence that has, that, that has happened in the past, your response to those uh, thoughts? My response is that we need to make sure. Um, one of the challenges of, so in the past, you know, election rigging, uh, you know, of vote counts, say, would have involved things like ballot box stuffing and, you know, marks on ballots so that they would be misread and things like that. Things that are sort of obvious to the average person. Uh, who doesn't have experience with uh, hacking technology. Um, the challenge we have when we use electronic systems is that some problems that can be introduced into those systems are difficult or impossible to detect, and you need a detection mechanism. Evidence-based elections is a really important standard for us to have nationwide. It builds confidence when jurisdictions can demonstrate that votes were counted correctly. And that's what I think, whether the president or any, anyone else uh, would like to know, is that there is confidence in the part of the voters. The one way we know that you can be sure that your vote won't count is not to show up. And whether or not you have full confidence in the voting system that you're going to use, and if you're curious, you can find out on our map ahead mm -hmm. of time, um, but whether or not you have full confidence in that system, you still need to make the effort to make your voice heard, and we'll keep working on getting to evidence-based elections nationwide. It's a, a process. You know, we've made progress on it over the years. Things are very different today than they were in 2004, 2008, even 2012. Um, the decentralization of our elections and election systems uh, does remove one sort of targeting methodology that you might have in another country that has a, you know, a, a national election system mm -hmm. that's run federally, say. But, uh, but it's not the only uh, mitigation, and it's not the only safeguard. We really need to have evidence-based elections. We really need to have evidence of voter intent mm -hmm. that we can do robust checks on and make sure that is being counted correctly. Uh, and counted correctly on election night, as you say. Um, but we're not quite there yet. So I think the thing to do in this election is to be vigilant 
and to be confident uh, that your voice will be heard if you show up, um, but work towards better systems. Well, you're... You're absolutely right. I often tell people that, you know, if if you don't vote, if you don't bother to vote, then the bad guys, whoever those bad guys may be, uh, they don't have to bother stealing your vote. You've given it to them. <laughs> yeah. uh, At least make it hard, right? Yeah, make them work for it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, to his, uh, to Obama's uh, comments and some of these others uh, that we didn't have time to get into here, but I know that uh, this uh, Ashby Law, this sort of uh, conservative law firm, has been putting out, you know, a response over the weekend that our elections are conducted on equipment that has been tested, that it's overseen by party officials from both sides. Yeah, but you can't see inside a computer. So I want to give confidence to folks, but I also want them to understand uh, what does and doesn't merit confidence. And uh, that's why we need to keep con- uh, continue to keep talking about this and informing the voters about what they should and shouldn't uh, have confidence in. People should check out verifiedvoting.org. Rather than sending me emails asking what type of uh, voting systems are used in this jurisdiction or that, you can go to verifiedvoting.org slash verifier, I think is the uh, address, uh, and find out the exact type of voting system that is used in every jurisdiction in the country. It's a, a tremendous service. To, to folks like me, Pam Smith, as is the work that you and everyone else has been doing over there for more than a decade at VerifiedVoting.org. Check them out there and on the Twitters at Verified Voting. Pam Smith, the president of Verified Voting, always a delight to speak to you. I have a feeling we may be speaking more before and after the election, but uh, thanks for all you do and, and for joining us today, Pam. You bet. Thank you. That's Pamela Smith. Uh, Check her out at verifiedvoting.org and educate yourself about your own election system. Uh, An educated electorate will make all the difference in the world this year. All right, we got to get out. Uh, My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Hi, Des. I didn't even get to say hello to you today. I know. Lots (laughs) of stuff to cover. Sorry about that. Uh, But my thanks to Desi and my thanks, of course, to Pam Smith of VerifiedVoting.org and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it for free at bradblog.com or over at iTunes or your favorite podcast site. Uh, Say something nice about us there when you do so that uh, other people find what we do here and help spread the word. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. And you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. All right. Oh, my thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep doing what it is that we do here on the Bradcast. Thank you. All right. That's it. Until we meet again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.